Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us. That your word would change our hearts. That we would hear your word and that it would bear fruit in our lives. All to the honor and glory of your name. And so we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Do you please be seated wherever you are? And as you're being seated, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 5, which was read just a moment ago. Romans chapter 5, as we continue in our series on the book of Romans. You're so much like your mother. You remind me so much of your father. So in certain contexts, those comments might be encouraging or endearing to you, or they might not. Used in the right context, a comparison like that may be very apt and nice. In others, not so much. So for example, I find it hard to imagine any context in which a husband would wisely say to his wife, you're just like your mother. I'm just telling you, you all in, at, at home can't see this right now, but there was a husband and wife that just stared at each other when I said that. <laughs> That's a bit of the sort of uncomfortable comparison that takes place in our reading in Romans chapter 5. Adam, the first human, the originator of the human race, his story is found in the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. But that Adam is compared to Jesus, God incarnate, who in his earthly family is actually a descendant from Adam. And Paul says, in effect, like father, like son. Adam is like Jesus. But Adam and his wife Eve are the first two people to sin. I mean, the fall, the entrance of sin into God's good creation came on their watch. That's what they're known for. They messed everything up. And so the second that Paul says that Adam and Jesus are actually similar, as soon as he says that, he immediately launches into two whole paragraphs showing how actually they're, very, they're quite different. He said they're similar, and then he seems almost embarrassed by the comparison and actually spends most of the time showing how, not how they're similar, but how they're radically different. It's as if he said, you're just like your mother. Well, no, 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 just in this one way. So what I want us to do this morning is to sort of follow what Paul says here, showing the one way that Adam and Jesus are similar, and then focusing on actually how they're different, and what all that means for us. So I'm going to offer the one way that it says they're similar, and then three ways that they are just completely different. And, I, and this is actually, as Paul says, quite critical to understanding the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So first, the one way that Paul says Adam and Jesus are similar, the one way, look at verse 14, the end of verse 14. It says, Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So he's saying they're similar. Adam is a type of the one to come. Adam, the first man, is a type, and at least in one sense, like Jesus. So how are they similar? 
Jump down to verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, that's Adam, by Adam's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So how are they similar? Because each of them stood as the leader, as the head that impacts the standing of everyone associated with them. Or to use Fleming Rutledge's phrase, each man determines a world. Adam's actions have an impact on everyone who follows him. And Jesus' actions has an impact on everyone who follows him. And these two are leaders, if you will, of two separate worlds, two kingdoms, if you will. And everyone who follows either one of them comes under what their world entails. So um, at the beginning of the movie Troy, two kingdoms face off. And they agree, instead of having the armies battle, that they would just have a champion from each side fight to the death to decide what happens. But what the kings decide is that whichever nation wins, the other one will come and serve them. So instead of killing everybody, they'll just have them come and, and serve them. And so the kings make the agreement. The kings choose, but the king's choice has consequences for the rest of the nation, everybody that follows them. So when Adam sinned, all of humanity, all of us, were brought under the consequences, under the oppressive power of sin and its minion death. And so we find ourselves, by being in Adam, by being a part of the human race, we find ourselves trapped because of the action of our leader, our head. Verse 19 again, the disobedience of that one man made all of us Sinners in Adam were trapped, but Jesus transfers us into his new kingdom. In Jesus, we can be set free from the power of sin and we can have life. When we receive Jesus in faith, we're transferred into a whole new world with a whole new leader, a new head. Adam and the world that he led us into can actually be undone by the one man, Jesus. They're similar because they both serve as head and their actions impact all who follow them, but they are radically different. And that's what Paul really wants us to see. And when we realize that each of them is the leader of the whole group and their actions impact the standing of everyone who follows them, then we can understand the gospel. So this is how they're similar, but what they stand for and the worlds or kingdoms, if you will, that they are about are completely different. And that's what Paul really wants us to see. So how are they different? If they're both similar because they're the leader and their actions have consequences on everyone who follows, how are they different? First, they're different because of sin Versus grace. So verse 21. Sin reigned in death. That's the result of Adam's sin. But grace reigns through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Sin reigned. 
Paul speaks about sin not just as stuff we do that's wrong, but as an enslaving power that has us trapped. Sin reigned over us. So in the line of Adam, we're trapped. So as one writer put it, as children of Adam, we are completely at the mercy of forces that we cannot control. Or as it has been said, we are not sinners because we sin, rather we sin because we are sinners. We're not sinners just because we've done something wrong, but rather we sin because at our very core we are trapped and incapable of escape on our own and actually incapable of godliness. We sin because in our core we are sinners because we are in Adam. But in Jesus, sin no longer reigns. Grace reigns. Verse 21. Grace, God's goodness, His love, His mercy, His transforming power towards each one of us who do not deserve it. His grace reigns. Each of these, Adam and Jesus, determines a world, and the whole new world of Jesus is characterized by, is defined by grace and no longer sin. Yes, they're they're similar, but they are radically different. And the reign of sin and the reign of grace are completely different worlds. But thanks be to God in Christ, we are transferred into the realm of grace. In Adam, that is by being a human, but not turning to Jesus in faith, then we remain in the realm of sin. But friends, in Christ... Through what Christ has done for us, when we trust in Him, we are transferred into the realm of grace. Grace where sin no longer defines us. Grace where our mistakes no longer have to control us. Grace where we're filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered with the very power of God. No longer sin having mastery over us. The grace of Jesus is yours who trust in Him. See, in Adam, we're trapped in sin. But Jesus transfers us into a whole new kingdom of grace. Sin versus grace. Second, how are they different? Death versus life. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. So in Genesis chapter 2, back with Adam and Eve, God says to Adam, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, Adam and Eve end up rejecting God, thinking they know better thinking that they would actually be better gods than God, and they go their own way and eat from the tree anyway. So as it says here in Romans 5, sin enters into the world through Adam. And as Genesis 3 shows us, death is the result. And because we are all find ourselves born into this world under the enslavement of sin, we all face death as the consequence. So as the saying goes, nothing is certain except death and taxes. 
Well, the death part of that is because of sin. Perhaps the taxes part is as well, but that's probably a different story. But if sin is spoken of as a reigning monarch under whose power we live, death is then spoken of sort of as its most vile weapon against us. Sin reigned unchallenged. And then in verse 14 it says that actually death reigned over us. Death was certain for everyone who follows in Adam's line. That is, it's certain for all of us. But in Jesus, death no longer reigns. In Jesus, death no longer has the final word or the ultimate power. Because as it says in our creed that we affirm, because of the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Jesus defeats death on the cross. And in Jesus, we have life. And we will be resurrected with him to share in his eternal life. Life eternal, but also life restored here and now. Because death, for those who are in Christ, death no longer reigns. In Jesus, through his death and resurrection for us, we now live in the realm of life, not in death. Life for all who are in Jesus. Life for all who trust in Him. Life for all who receive His grace. Life, not death. See, in Adam, we're trapped in death. But Jesus transfers us into His new kingdom of life. Sin versus grace. Death versus life. And third, how are they different? Judgment versus justification. Judgment versus justification. Look at verse 16. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift of Jesus following many trespasses brought justification. And it's important for us to understand that this one trespass, that's talking about Adam's sin, this one trespass wasn't just taking one small bite of something he shouldn't have eaten. It was actually a form of rejecting God, trying to be God instead of God. It was de-godding God, to use Don Carson's phrase. And as a result of that mutiny against God is that judgment comes, the verdict, guilty. That's us. Guilty. That's actually one of the fundamental main points of the first uh, three chapters of Romans is that all of us, doesn't matter who you are, all of us are guilty. Sin is a big deal. And if that's the result of that one sin by our leader, Adam, what should the result of all human sin throughout all ages be? If one is met with condemnation, what should millions upon millions upon millions be met with? But in Jesus, through what he has done for us, we are made right. As it says, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. You sort of assume that sentence would end with brought massive condemnation. But no, it brought justification, what Jesus has done for us. We are, in fact, in Christ, declared innocent. 
That's the main part of what justification means, being made right, being counted innocent. Not innocent because we never sinned, we did. But having all of our debts canceled, we're no longer guilty in Christ. We're innocent, made right, clothed with the very righteousness of Jesus as our own. So this is a tiny comparison of what Jesus did. But this reminds me of an experience that I had with a roommate named DJ. So after college, I lived with uh, three other guys for a year, uh, two of whom are wonderful, good friends of mine to this day. The other, DJ, was an absolutely terrible roommate. And when we moved out, he, uh, had owed, he owed me money that he just flat refused to pay. I don't remember the exact amount, but especially at that time in my life, just starting out, it was a few hundred dollars, which was a ton at that point for us. And in prayer one day, I felt that the Lord said very clearly that I needed to forgive him. You know, I needed to work in my heart and, and forgive him for what he'd done. And part of that, I've sensed very clearly that God was saying in this instance, I needed to forgive his debt. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. He wasn't nice about it. But I felt very clearly that God said that I needed to forgive his debt. As I said, he didn't deserve it, but I contacted him, and I told him that I forgave him, and I forgave his debt, and that he no longer owed me anything. Now, essentially, I paid his debt. I mean, it cost me to forgive the debt that he owed against me. But because it was now forgiven, he was no longer guilty. So he was no longer in the wrong because the matter had been solved. It had been forgiven. It had been paid by me accepting the loss. He no longer owes me anything because of what I did for him. And in this teeny tiny way, I think that's a good image of what God does for us in justifying us. We actually are no longer guilty before God because the debt has been paid. The loss has been forgiven. The mutiny has been dealt with. So in Jesus, we are actually made right and whole. That's what justified means. See, in Adam, we were trapped and facing judgment. But Jesus transfers us into his new kingdom in which we are justified, made right. Sin versus grace, death versus life, and judgment versus justification. See, friends, in order to understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus, we need to grasp this corporate responsibility, the way that our head impacts the standing of all of us. And in Adam, by being human, we're born into sin, and we're born with a corrupted nature and we will experience death and judgment. But through what Jesus has done, when we believe in Him and are baptized into His name, we come under Him as our new head. And in Him, we are changed, and now we stand under grace and life and justification. In Him, our whole nature is changed, and we're no longer trapped because Jesus transfers us into His new kingdom. So turn again to Jesus. 
Trust in Him and receive His grace and His justification and His life. And embrace Him and see what He has freed you from. And look deeply at His goodness toward you in saving you and freeing you from sin and death and judgment. And as you grasp what we were in Adam, then we can collapse in gratitude in the arms of our Savior. Knowing that Jesus has transferred us from sin into grace, from death into life, and from judgment into justification in Jesus. Thanks be to God. Amen.